Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, everybody in between. This is Feature This, a fan edit podcast. Ethan, cue the John Williams. That's right. If it's not terribly obvious, this today's episode is going to be on Black Beauty. <laughs> uh, no, of course we do- prefer National Velvet. <laughs> uh, of course, we're doing uh, episode four, the uh, the great great Star Wars, and uh, the fan edit of it that we're going to be Worth going into, great. and. We have to, uh, oh man, there's so much to say about Star Wars, there's no way we can say everything we want to say. And talk about Star Wars. <laughs> right, we're, we're going full geek mode here. Um, let's, Star Wars is an important movie for a lot of, a lot of different reasons, um, but for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to talk about the importance of it is and how it affects fan editing, because there are deep roots associated to fan editing, the fan editing world, and Star Wars. Uh, we've gone at length about how episode one um, uh, of Star Wars ended up being a big catalyst for fan editing. But the reason for that is because everybody had such high praise of episodes four, five, and six that there became a, a, an unquenchable thirst to elevate episodes one, two, and three up to that level. Um, so now we're starting with the baseline, the quintessential you know, movie of... I don't know, of our time? of it's, our, it's not quite our time. It's a little before our time, but uh, certainly of uh, the most culturally impactful movie in the 20th century, I would say, um, is, uh, is Star Wars. So let's... Uh, but one of the fascinating things about Star Wars is that, and from an editing standpoint and from a fan editing standpoint, is that what we have today to work with is not what... The audiences had in the 70s when this came out. Um, so part of, part of the approach in looking at Star Wars is what is the most authentic version? Is the authentic version, the, the, what, what year did it come out in? 76, 77, 76? Is that one the 77? Greg, you're welcome to chime in here. You're on yeah, the but, podcast. Yeah, me. Greg, everybody, everybody, Greg's on the line, of course. <laughs> um, uh, it came out in 77, and uh, the... Uh, but there have been changes, of course, when it came out on VHS, when it came out on DVD, when it came out in Blu-ray, when it was re-released in special editions in the theaters 15, 20 years after the fact. And um, we are torn. There's a... There's sort of a sacrilege that people feel towards these modifications, even though they're coming from the, you know, the source generator himself, George Lucas. Um, but it, it does beg the question, is, what, what is the, what, when we talk about episode four, what are we really talking about? When somebody says episode four to you, what, what's the default version that comes to mind? Uh, the one I first saw. Which was on VHS... 
Yes. And was it as... It was on television. Okay. Was that... No, it was at school. Sorry. We watched it at school. Were there any changes, do you know, of that version compared to the theatrical version? Yes. Episode 4, New Hope. Oh, yeah, because the original one didn't say episode four. The original one just said... Uh, so it's ironic that you say, when you think of episode four, I literally, that's what I think of, the one where they changed it to episode four. That's the first one I saw. Right. the, first, the only change. And the original said just Star Wars on it. Yeah. Did, the, did the opening crawl have go through any changes throughout the years? No. No, okay. Um, I know one thing that certainly has changed throughout the years, even if it may seem trivial, but is the opening, the, the Lucasfilm logo. I remember that in the original being just like a green kind of text. Just text. And then in the later versions, this uh, ornate sort of sparkly. It wasn't kind of a design. logo before. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a color to font. That's yeah, what it was. yeah. Um, episode four is um, it's not it's not an accident that this is has been a culturally defining movie. It's uh, when I think about a, as a movie itself, I think it's uh, incredibly well done uh, from. The first, uh, you know, opening shots, you know, of, on the Death Star, the Death Star itself coming into view, uh, what a tremendous shot, and then ending with the celebration uh, shot. Um, the, the, the racist celebration shot with no, or Chewie doesn't get a, uh, a medal, <laughs> even though he's likely the one that talked Han into going back. Y- yes, uh, that's, that's true. Um, there's the, uh, that shot, you know, I remember when I, when I watched this, I was thinking if there was never a five and a six or whatever, if it was only Star Wars, that would have been a fine ending to Star Wars. You don't. Except that Vader got away. Except that Vader got away. Although, not tying up every loose end is not a. I mean, that's okay. Sure, sure. Um, but there is a. Uh, that, that's a very strong concluding moment because from the beginning, you know, introduction of, you know, Mark Hamill's character, Luke Skywalker, he is this kind of nobody farm boy. And then at the end of the film, he's being, you know, praised with, by the, the it's royalty. A, it's a character arc in and of itself without anything else. Exactly. So um, I want to talk, go through episode four and, and really highlight some of the really clever things about the script, about the screenplay and the filming that um, that I think is important, and you know, you contribute obviously what you you know you think is important as well, um, because this I think is it's important to point out that the, the, Natalie Portman's not in this movie. Just FYI, <laughs> FYI, she's not yet, in it. not yet. <laughs> yes, uh, this is a um, so like okay, when this movie starts off, it's that incredible shot. You know, first off, the opening text crawl is amazing. Like no yes. film has ever done that yes. prior to that. Uh, followed that with the you know the incredible score by John Williams, which is did not win an Oscar. <laughs> did not win an Oscar, uh, and then followed by the shot of that Death Star. All, everything that we're talking about is so iconic, and um, then we and enter in in the uh, the scene where Darth Vader is uh, in the hallway of the Death Star. There's a shootout, looking for um, the droid as he's going to get uh, as R two D two is getting instructions from Princess Leia. Um, there's this little moment uh, that happens that could be overlooked, but it, it, to me it's so perfect and it, it defines so well the characters of C-3PO and R2-D2 is their opening moment in that hallway shootout where they just casually walk in front of the screen from left to right. And that's so perfect because, yes, that's, they are just kind of bumbling in the middle of this giant space war and they are funny and but they're there and they're and they're part of the plot i mean r2 is you know the 
um, I guess you could say he's the the MacGuffin in, in this sense, you know. Um, he's carrying the, the carrying the MacGuffin, sure. Uh, but the the thing that is going to incite the plot, and um, that moment is is brilliant because it's the first moment you see of them. It defines their characters, and not only that, it's also great that the film doesn't start with Luke, but starts with Vader. Because there's the premise of all, all movies uh, is that the good guy is only as good as the bad guy is bad. And so when we get Vader coming in, walking down the halls, jet black, um, and his first, you know, he's barking orders and obviously has like some superhuman strength. And then we cut to, you know, the little kid farmer. We're like, wow, that's what he's ultimately going to go up against. Um, these are all like really good, strong storytelling tools and it's like I said it's not an accident that Star Wars you know you can think of other movies other big science fiction movies that had a lot of great elements but they didn't quite come together Um, uh, like Dune for example um, where it it seems like that should have been more culturally impactful but it doesn't doesn't have the consistency in the um, sort of a uh, what's the word efficiency that you know Star Wars has in storytelling? Um, but anyway, uh, we we have that scene. But so we have a character Vader is introduced. What a character! And then R two and C three PO, completely unique characters. And then you know the introduction of Luke, who at the, actually is kind of bland. He's not really defined. He 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 becomes the arc, of course. Um, uh, throughout the film, but the other characters around Luke are the real uh, iconic characters, whether it's Chewie and Han and Leia. Luke is sort of a little bit boring, but that's he contrasts. He's sort of like a, a straight... He kind of serves as kind of like a straight man in this cast of characters. He serves as the representative of the audience. Yes, yeah, the audience who doesn't know what the Force is and has to have it explained to him. Um, who who doesn't quite understand what's going on geopolitically, but gets involved in it? Uh, yeah, exactly. He is that that tool. So um, you know, he gets introduced, and which uh, it, it, then, of course, the the droid ends up in R 2s hands, which has the information, which needs to take him to Obi Wan. The droid ends up in R 2s hands. The, the, There's so the, many things wrong with that sentence. <laughs> I, I obviously misspoke. Uh, the droid ends up in R 2s hands. How many hands does okay, R2 okay, have? Okay, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh, the droids ends up in, in Luke's possession. And uh, tinkering with it comes with the message. The message says, take me to Obi-Wan. Um, and, uh, and, and so be it. So that, then we have the introduction of Obi-Wan. And what's great is, it, you know, when, when he meets Obi-Wan and then goes back to his parents, her, his parents by that point oh. are killed. And, his and uncle and aunt. His parents are much more central characters. Sure, than yeah. One of whom, Natalie Portman, is not in this movie. <laughs> but when he goes back, you know, his, his family is dead, has been killed. But it's not the... It's a really clever the way the screenplay writes that because it, it's, a, it's a perfectly logical cascading set of events which leads to that. It's not some arbitrary uh, sand people attack that killed them. That's racist. They're Tuscan Raiders. Tuscan Raiders, sorry. Because uh, um, it's, it's, it, a, a weaker screenplay would have just had a random attack that he wasn't there to help defend. 
But what the reason why they they're targeted is because of the opening shots are trying to find the information on this R two unit, which they trace to the house, and then they have to, and that's what leads them there. And the reason why he's not there uh, when that happens is because he again is following the the R two sure. unit to Obi one. One of the great uh, things about that scene where he comes back and finds his uncle and his aunt is he looks and he sees their charred bodies. And he looks down for a second, and then he looks back. It's like he looks away because it's too horrible, and then he looks back because he says, I have to experience this. And when he looks back, it's like he's changing right there. Yeah. He's changing. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, and that's particularly important because earlier you see him looking at the, the, the twin sons and not, and it, it's, it's mirroring that shot, but things are different now. Um, and it's all because of these little cascading, rolling moments from, from one to the next. You don't get this introduction of luck that seems to come into many of the other, uh, in the, in the, you know, the episodes one, two, and three that play a role. And even to uh, an extent in episode six, where luck seems to be a little more um, uh, factored in, like, uh, well, we'll talk about it when we get to episode six. Yeah, I've never seen that, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so, you know, of course, the unfolding of events is, the, the, again, the message, Obi-Wan, I need your help. Obi-Wan has to get to now this planet. Uh, but the planet uh, is, in order to get to the planet, he needs to get on a ship. In order to get the ship, that he has to meet Han and uh, Chewie and Han. Go ahead. Okay, I, 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 are we allowed to talk about this movie in the context of it being the fourth chapter, or are we just talking about it as the first it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, because I just want to bring out something interesting. Leia says, General Kenobi, years ago you served my father during the Clone Wars, blah, 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 blah. How mm-hmm. many Obi-Wan Kenobi? She obviously doesn't, has never met Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm. So this message is coming from her father. Why is her father now, at this point, what has caused him to send this message to Obi-Wan Kenobi? Okay, okay. the Death Star plans, obviously. But why my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed? There's there's some there's some there's some, some backstory di- there. some some yeah there's some there's some very curious lines of dialogue that nobody ever really thinks about or plays out. What is this? Impl- what is what, this? What happened before this? My movie mission started. to bring you to Alderaan is failed. Bail Organa has sent for Obi Wan Kenobi. Why? Hmm. There's two there's two possible answers. Answer number one, that's just something that George Lucas wrote and mm-hmm. didn't bother to explain. Mm-hmm. Or option number two. You kind of have to look at it in the context of it being chapter four. That there's previous chapters and other plot lines going yes, on. Yes, because what was the last thing we saw Bail Organa and Obi Wan do? Split up the twins. Hmm. And now I'm bringing you back. Hmm. Very interesting. So it, it, if 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 he's being sent, if she's being sent to collect Obi Wan, is Luke supposed to be involved in this at all? Because everybody else but Luke is involved. Um. I would say no. That okay. it, it is the force and fate itself that it brings him into the into the fold. I'm going to disagree with you, based on the fact that it's chapter four. Um, there's a scene in in episode three where Yoda and, and Obi Wan and uh, Bail Organa are discussing what do we do with the twins. Well, obviously we can't keep them together. We got to separate them because that doubles our chances that th- they'll survive. Mm. Um, okay, well. I'll take the I'll take the girl. You take the boy. 
We'll go separate. We'll all go our separate ways. Um, and then here's what I think is. I, I think this might have been in the book, but it definitely was not really a spot on the movie. Bail Organa takes... There's a, there's a plan. Bail Organa takes Leia. Obi-Wan takes Luke. Yoda goes off to Dagobah. We, we go our separate ways, three separate ways, but ultimately the plan is we're all going to get back together get again. Yeah. And it, what will happen is when the time comes, I will send Leia or I will myself go to get Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan will, will then get Luke. Luke and Leia will be taken to Yoda. So Leia is sent to get Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, and now it, it seems as if he stumbles across Luke. Mm. But who's to say what would have happened if it, the if Empire the... wasn't chasing them? At that point, Obi-Wan could have said, okay, Leia, there's, I gotta go get Luke. And then at that point, he could say, I knew your father, blah, 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 come with me. Just mm-hmm. like he does. It didn't have to be an accidental thing. He could have come to him and said, you know, I know you want to get off this planet, blah, blah, blah. And then Luke would have said the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? But he, you know. Yeah, yeah I see been, where you're going with that. And then Obi-Wan takes them, and whether, it, whether it's by way of Alderaan or not, takes them to Yoda. Well, problem. Leia gets kidnapped, and Obi-Wan dies. So the whole plan falls apart. But then Obi-Wan comes to Luke through the Force. When you first see him communicating through the Force, it's only the voice. Mm-hmm. Find, and then in, supposedly, I've never seen Empire Strikes Back, but <laughs> I understand that he comes in in the form of a, of a man. Yeah. And he says, you'll go to Yoda. And so... At this point, Obi-Wan has never met Leia. Everyone has no relationship with Leia, so Leia's not part of the factor anymore. Leia's not, not, Leia's not an, equi- Leia's not an equation. equation. <laughs> She's not part of the factor. <laughs> so it's just Luke. And yeah. then they say, oh, well, there is another. Blah, blah, blah. We'll worry about that later. Mm-hmm. I think that storyline could play out. Now, whether or not that was intentional or not, I don't know. But that is a very troubling line. You fought in the Clone Wars. Well, that's fine. That was decades ago. My mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. That is part of the plot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Why is she on? Why is she at Tatooine? To get Obi Wan Kenobi. Why is that? Why do we have that scene at the beginning? Because she has come here to get Obi Wan Kenobi. She, she's not just running from the Empire. No, no, she has. She's on a mission and was interrupted. That is. That I think that's an important part of the plot that nobody talks about. That's very interesting. And in fact, there's no other callback to that throughout the movie. It's not like she and they never meet. Leia and Obi Wan have no scenes together. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's very clever that, that there, could, there could be this big thing going on that we just never see because they're never in the same room together. Interesting. You know? Well, you would think, yeah, you're right, because even Obi-Wan uh, never really sits down with all the other uh, people who could be involved in it, with like the head of the, uh, um, like in the third act, for example, when they go and they have the briefing, you know, there should be some people there. Who, who, well, I guess Leia's there anyway, but anyway, he's gone by that point, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, you're totally right. All the Ron's gone, mm-hmm. so there's no connection. There's none, all the connections are gone. Yeah. And, here, and, then, and, then, uh, and then another interesting thing if Luke hadn't said, How did my father die? Our first inclination that Obi Wan and Vader knew each other at all would be, He is here. Obi Wan Kenobi. And that would have been a cool reveal. Mm. But again, because they're never in the same room. We don't know these guys are actually the, the main protagonists from the previous trilogy. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. All we know is that there are characters they're, in this movie. Yes, yeah. Um, would you, from an editing standpoint, if you could cut out one of those lines to hide, would you, would you consider removing like a, something like that, or the mission to Alderaan has failed, and just have no. the, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't leave that out at all. And I also definitely would not cut out How Did My Father Die, because that's Obi-Wan's lie. You yeah, need, yeah, you need yeah. that lie. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, you totally need that. So, um, so in order to get to Alderaan, according to you know the plans that are unfolding, they have to hire uh, you know the smugglers to get them, which is clever, because if it, it would be easy to say that you know Obi Wan. Uh, goes to like some council and says, you know, I'm the great Obi Wan. I need a you know executive fleet, you know, to take me to How Alderaan. How can he do that? He's supposed to be dead. Or as, as you know, I mean, he's he's a wanted man. Yeah, I guess uh, with the Empire. And that's why it's one of the reasons. But why he could so you could write it. Well, you could write it where he calls in a favor and somebody who's high up the food chain takes him there. The point is, is that the the screenplay uh, keeps it with colorful characters. And, 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 and one of the things that is talked about ad hominem is how, you know, episodes one, two, and three are, you know, the very polished elite, every floor has, is immaculate kind of environment where everything is down and dirty and gritty in four, five, and six, um, with the exception of some of the uh, uh, interiors of the Death Star. And the, storm, and the Star Destroyer. Yeah, and the Star Destroyer. Everything, so, everything Imperial. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Which is interesting because that's what's left over from the Republic, which was what you know was squeaky clean in the first movie. True, true. Yeah. Um, and so the uh, so so getting together and finding you know Chewie and Han is not just it's not an accident. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I think that Star Wars, in a sense, gets this. I think a lot of people, as good as it is and as as, as prominent as this, sort of think it kind of treat the film like. It was just a, a fortunate strike of luck that this thing was huge. And I know that there is kind of, you never know how, how good a film is going to be. But there's so many things that are, that are so purposeful, uh, that are not, probably not so obvious, but become, I think, a little more obvious when you start asking yourself, well, what could have they have done in this stead? And I think a lot of that you think of, well, what would have Lucas done, you know, if he, if he was in his episode one mindset, you know? Um, you know what I think is... Uh Already a foreshadowing of his episode one mindset. I'm holding here the novelization of Star Wars, written by Alan Dean Foster, whose name is on the cover. George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And the funny thing is, is like, okay, I can understand from a marketing standpoint what's likely to sell more copies. Mm-hmm. Alan Dean Foster, or oh, this is the book based on it. He wrote this book. This book's probably gonna. And, and no, Alan Dean Foster wrote it based on a screenplay, and Alan Dean Foster is a writer. Mm. George Lucas. Not really. Mm. Um, but even in the foreword, he acknowledges that Alan Dean Foster wrote the book and his name's still on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> well, that might be a publisher call. Uh, who Maybe. Knows? Who knows? Maybe. Um, the, uh, okay, so he meets up with uh, Chewie and Han. And, you know, he says he's going to give him a ton of, ton of dough from the princess to take an Alderaan. So Which they... is interesting because how does he know he can do that? The, uh, maybe that's a lie. He's not above lying. But he's not above lying. But the thing is, is that he probably would have done this. Yeah, yeah, I could. I can, I can, you don't need 17,000. You'll do it for 2,000. Because does, does, does Han seem like a really strong-minded person? Strong-willed, yes. Yeah. I, the, yeah, I always say it's funny. The, the Jedi mind trick only works on, uh, on actors who are not, uh, on characters who are not named. <laughs> if you have a name in Star Wars, you, you can't be Jedi mind tricked. Um, so the, uh, they go to Alderaan, but of course Alderaan has, uh, Alderaan is destroyed, but it's not destroyed because Vader is just trying to, um, and the Empire is just trying to be evil. 
They are demonstrating the power of the Death Star. Right after disbanding the Senate. Exactly. So it, it, it is a, it, it's not just, look how evil I am. There is, uh, there, there, there's layers there. There's design there. And he's doing that, again, as a direct cause and effect from the R2 droids getting off. Uh, R2 droid, you know, R2 mm-hmm. and C-3PO getting away. It is a direct cause. Tell me where they are. Tell me where the rebels are. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, fine. I'm going to blow up your planet. And uh, oh, oh, you're going to tell me anyway, I'm going to still blow it up, not because I'm evil, but I'm, I'm making a political statement at this point, you know. Um, but also because they are demonstrating the power of the station. It's not like, uh-oh, let's, let's do this. They're, they're going to blow up something. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so the, I, I keep going back to how it, it, it's not... Isolated incidences. The plot is 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 going. You know, okay. So they get to Alderaan. It's blowed up. Well, now what do they do? The Death Star is there. Uh oh, that's not a moon. That's a, yeah. it's a space station. No, it's too big to be a space station. <laughs> yeah, turn the ship around. Too late. Track the beam. <laughs> um, real quick. Uh, I, I I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in one of the other uh, movie discussions, but there's a there's a scene in this movie. Which, when you're watching this movie, you when the scene's over, it kind of feels like it's your first opportunity to see Darth Vader use the Force or use the be your first opportunity to see his relationship with the Imperial officers, and that is don't be too proud of your technological terror, blah blah blah. Oh and then yeah, force shows them. yeah, yeah. That scene is also if you're looking at it as chapter four of a story, that scene has a lot more significance because they're talking about disbanding the Senate. Right. Which is a, that's a huge thing in episodes one, two, and three. The Senate is a huge thing. It is an integral cog in the in the um, in the Empire in mm-hmm. the Republic. It's part of their their the. And they say, well, how can they do that? Oh, well, because we have a Death Star, and that's really significant. Yeah, but, but you you kind of miss out on that because this is your first chance to see the Death Star. You don't really know what it does. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a huge scene. It really is. I, it is, and. Uh... I love the fact, which is unfortunate because there's the, the allure of the magic of the Force. Um, we talked about, when we were talking about Episode 1, that in, in Episode 4, the Force is, um, is, is fantasy. Whereas in, um, in Episode 1, with the introduction of the Metachlorians and whatnot, Sorry, it, trans- the, the what? it becomes science fiction. Uh, it is better when it's fantasy. And that's why, despite the huge technological advances that we have in this, in this world... Uh, you have this guy looking at Vader and saying, "Your sorcery, you know, don't, you know, blah blah blah." That blah, scene blah. is so well written because it starts; it's full of expository dialogue that doesn't feel expository. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts off, and they're saying, "Oh well, the rebels could def- destroy us," blah blah blah, and they're 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 telling the audience. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like they're telling the audience; it feels like they're arguing. Yeah. Oh, it's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. No, it's not. Blah blah blah. Uh, none of that's going to matter. The Imperial Senate's gone. Mm-hmm. Silence. What? Never run it. But, but, <laughs> but also the introduction, because the, uh, the, the, the force, the way the force is introduced into episode four is this mysterious thing that nobody, it's kind of faith-based. You know, do you believe that stuff? You know, like Han, I've never seen anything that makes me think there's some magical force that blah, 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 which is kind of silly uh, in retrospect with the others because... 
you know, Chewbacca has been hanging with Yoda, and Yoda has seen, and he's, so he's certainly seen Yoda. Chewie should have been able to level with Han, like, dude, I've seen some shit, you know? But, but anyway, um, the, uh, the, 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 this guy is in this, in this room with Vader, and he's like, you know, your, you know, your sorcery and magical ways is nothing compared to the power of the Death Star, and he says, you know, never underestimate the power of the Force and chokes him. Which is great, because, we still have this this thing like, wait, do people, is this real? And then very few people must know about it. And then all of a sudden this guy has this power, which goes to show again how, what, what kind of a force he is to be reckoned with by uh, the protagonist. Well, there, there's, a, there's a line in, in this scene that I think is, is so amazing because of, of what it does. And that is, okay, they, the scene begins with the Imperial guys at the Death Star... Um, arguing about whether or not these plans are going to, you know, whatever, uh, be a problem. Mm-hmm. The space station has never been named. Mm. I think it might have been named in the opening crawl. They've never referred to it as the Death Star. Mm. You know, it's it's possible that they find the technical readouts of the station, they may be able to find a weakness and exploit it. The plans refer to be back in our hands, blah, blah, blah. The Imperial Senate's gone, and they say, how will it... Emperor maintain control without the bureaucracy, and Tarkin ultimately says, "Fear will keep the systems in line. Fear of this battle station. Fear of this battle station. Why? Mm. Why?" Then Vader uh. says this line that has so much power in it: "The ability to destroy a planet. Our first, ex- our first explanation for what this space station mm-hmm. does is, is insignificant next to the power of the Force, which may or may not have ever been referenced yet at that point in the movie. The Force." Um, I think I think Obi Wan had just introduced that concept. I think so too. So he comes in and says, "The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force." Tells us three things. Tells us number one, this space station can destroy planets. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm a user of the Force. And number three, the Force is more powerful than all than that. Also, I'm there's, more, there's I'm so more, much information in that. In that I'm line. more dangerous than this. There's than so this much information death, in that line. Yeah, battle station. And he, and, he, and, 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 and and the way he says it. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. It sounds very mechanical. But it's... Uh, it, yes. He doesn't go... No, it's... You, you have no idea. The Force can kill everybody. He says... The, it, just don't... Don't don't be, don't be get too but high he, but on his, your horses here. But also his delivery of it is very uh, pointed and... Yeah, there's nothing... There's there, nothing there's vain a, or... It's, no, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a threatening tone to it. That's true. Yeah. So not only all that is all that information being conveyed, but you are also continuing to get characterization of Vader. And then the first instance that we see of the Force being used is when he Force chokes the guy. The first time we see the Force is the dark side. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. It is, and I said that's. I don't think that's on, uh, an accident. That is designed to continue to elevate Vader as the seminal bad guys because by virtue of that it elevates the protagonists in their in their uh, in their journey to overcome him. Do you get the sense when you watch that scene that Vader is actually part of this military? Well, we've talked about this I think when we covered uh, 1 2 and 3. I think when I first saw Star Wars and probably several times after that I always assumed that yeah, he's he's a He's a you know a high ranking whatever, but he seems to be a little bit outside of it, you know, like a, a consultant, a, a, a Rasputin. That's kind of in I there. always kind of thought he was in the first one, but then when you watch Empire, he doesn't seem like he's part of the uh, military because he says, um, "You fail me for the last time, Admiral. You're dead. Now, Captain Piet, I want you to do these things. You're in charge now. Mm-hmm. He's not in charge. He's 
put someone else in charge. Mm. He's he's like the owner, not the manager. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't actually participate in any of the stuff, mm-hmm. but he'll let you know if there's a problem. Exactly, he's not actually one of them. And they don't. <laughs> and 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 and, and um, I don't remember if it was in some other book I read or maybe it was the novelization, but there was a general dislike of Vader amongst the uh, Imperials. They, hmm. they didn't like like him because he could kill anybody. Mm-hmm. They didn't know if they acted next. with impunity. There was no reason to like him, only to fear him. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because um, how many military leaders inspire by scaring the hell out of their their inferiors? Oh. And that's that's the only way they many. do it. Yeah. That's not a good way to to run a business. <laughs> so they are tractor beamed into the battle station, mm-hmm. um, which is another clever uh, screenwriting tool. Insofar as that. You're, what you want to see in a movie is, uh, is new in different places, especially in a big high fantasy uh, sci-fi setting. Is you, want to, you, know, you don't want to stay in one room too long. And so we've gone from you know, the interiors of the Death Star and the, uh, the, 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 the... Well, there's been interior Death Star shots, but also interior... Um, what's the big ship? The capital Millennium ship? Millennium Falcon? No, the capital ship. Star Destroyer? Yeah, the Star Destroyer. Um, we've seen the, the, the inside Moss Eisley. We've seen... Uh, the sand dunes. We've seen all kinds of new places, and now we're get, we're taking our main characters and throwing them into a new place, which happens to be the the, the uh, Death Star. And, uh, and now we have. Uh, and again, it's an organic thing. They just blew up the moon, uh, our Alderaan, so they must be nearby. They go to Alderaan. Now they're tractor beamed in. So it, it's 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 uh, again it's 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 clever. It's clever and efficient in moving these characters into a new place. Um, and then when they're there, they don't just go through the corridors of uh, of the of the place. They get stuck in the the, the trash compactor. Uh, they have to go rescue uh, Leia. Um, they have you know there's the flying over the pit. Like there's all if, kinds of stuff that goes on. If it was episode two, there would have been some kind of a conveyor belt construction scene. Yeah, the Mega Man level. Mega Man <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I, I will say. Uh, Can you imagine a trash compactor scene in the prequels? No, I just no. can't. Yeah, no, it's so sad. everything everything has to be so elegant and you know, uh, um, uh, you know, s- visually stunning. The trash compactor scene is not visually stunning. It's a bunch of garbage. But it, but the fear, the 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 element that works in there. A, you have something in the water you can't see, and B, the the closing of the walls, um, and then I think has the greatest punchline in the in, in all of the Star Wars. Is they, they shut it down and they're screaming and C three PO says, "Listen to them, they're dying with two curses metal body." I wasn't fast enough. And see, <laughs> you can have I love that line straight up humor in a Star Wars movie without being silly. silly yeah, because that's and these characters, you know, the C three PO and R two, they are the bumbling Laurel and Hardy throughout the thing. The thing that but, makes C three PO great, okay, because. You could argue that Jar Jar Binks was also an innocent, but he's a total innocent. He doesn't really, he you know, he doesn't really understand the gravity of anything. Mm. You know. Yeah. Well, and not to belabor how bad Jar Jar is, but he he also he also gets in and out of situations completely by luck of the dice. You know, Jar Jar. Yeah. So I don't. But well, okay. that. What? To, but to, to contrast that. 
um, you don't see that in episode four. Like you're saying, uh, the characters in episode four understand where they are in the gravity of the situation, whereas you know, Jar Jar's hopelessly, you know, out of tune of what, what movie he's in. But, but, or what's but check this out. Okay, you have 3PO who says, listen to them, they're dying, R2, curse my middle butt. You know, meanwhile, you have R2 who says, hey, I got this restraining bolt on me. If you pull it off, maybe I can show you the whole message. What message? R2 is not an innocent at all. He He's has, a schemer. He, he is a schemer. <laughs> He's a character. Which is, yeah, fasc- absolutely. which is fascinating because if you think <laughs> about character, like, like think about um, uh, Wally, for example. I mean, it's, it's an animated thing, but uh, look at how much effort it takes to give him character. You need the big flourishing eyes. You need the, the expressive you. eyebrows. You need the being able to move in and animate and change and quickly. Like, but that gives him a full flesh character. R2 is a character who has basically no functionality except the top of his dome can spin a little I mean, bit. And everything he says is, is like censored. Yeah, we have to it's interpret bleep, what bleep, he bleep, says. Bleep, bleep. By you somebody else. mentioned Wally, and I know this is totally off topic, so I won't sound long, but you're talking about the things that give Wally characterization. And uh, I love the fact that the first 20 so minutes of that movie has no dialogue, mm-hmm. except for what he's watching on the television. Mm-hmm. To me, the, one of the most fascinating uh, characterization moments is when he's watching Hello Dolly, and he takes a little hat, and he's trying to mimic yeah. what's going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me. That's just amazing. It's like, does he even know what he is he's mimicking? No. Does he even understand that that's an entertaining thing? Or is he just entertained by it? Yeah. Is he fascinated by it? I just think it's fascinating. I, I think Wally is uh, a tremendous, tremendous movie that could have been. I don't, we're going to do a little, uh, uh, a little side show here. Uh, it's a great movie that is this close to being a masterpiece. And we'll talk about this after okay, the podcast because okay. I, I love Wally. Okay. So anyway, um, so they're stuck on the Death Star. They have to get out, and they sort of realize the power of the uh, of where they are. And they, but they, you know, they're looking for the princess, and the princess is there. So now they're motivated to go uh, get Leia. Real quick, regarding the princess and three PO, I want to ask you if you think this is a goof, or if you think there's an explanation for it. Um, Luke says, "Who is she? She's beautiful." And three PO says, "I'm afraid I'm not quite sure, sir." It's a person of some importance, as I believe. You know, he's not a he's not a con man. He's not lying to Luke. He tells mm-hmm. he tells Luke everything he he knows. Mm-hmm. Later on, who is he found? Oh, Princess Leia. That's interesting. I I don't think I ever put those two together. I think I always just assumed at some point he didn't know, and then he did know, and it didn't. It didn't I mean, it's it wasn't possible a contradiction. That he picked up Princess Leia from Obi Wan. Or is it a glitch in the, a, a screenwriting plot hole that in one scene he doesn't know who she is, and another scene he does? I, how come he doesn't know who she is? She, he, he, how come he doesn't know who she is? I mean, he serves on her ship, he, which belongs to her father. Yeah. I don't get that. I, I, I think that's probably a flaw in the... It could be it, the restraining bolt. A, I'm, could be, could be. Anyway. Yeah. Possibly a screenplay error. I hope not. <laughs> of course but, not. Because, because the thing is, is that, you know, when I, I, I'm not... You know, obsessed with Star Wars like I used to be. I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, you might think I am because he brings <laughs> me on to what he does these. I don't talk about this all the time. Uh, but you know, when I was a kid, you know, you, you try to piece together everything. Okay, well, Obi Wan was in the Clone Wars. He was a general, blah blah blah, etc. Three PO doesn't know who she is now. She does. Why? You don't think to yourself, oh, oh that's an a error. plot hole. Yeah, you think, yeah. okay, well, obviously this is a very well structured thing. Yeah, there's purpose. Like this is real life. This is documentary. You know. <laughs> Like there's a there must be as much as the documentary captures the truth this we, so are we so any inconsistency must tie to a bigger truth Agreed. or something that we don't know yet. 
Um, so they rescue her and get out um, on the Millennium Falcon. Um, you came in that thing? You're braver than I thought. <laughs> Um, I, I will say that at this point we have been introduced something to something that is problematic. Is that uh, on one hand you have Obi-Wan talking about the lethality of the stormtroopers in, um, in the opening Tatooine scenes. And then we have them fighting the stormtroopers who seem to be hopelessly um, inept. I think that that is... The only, the only way to, to rectify that is to either... Change the talk about how they're accurate, or to people the scenes with a lot more allies that can get killed. The alternative, I think, or to explain it with the force. No, a third alternative is that you restructure the action sequences dealing with uh, stormtroopers, such that the characters are doing what they can cleverly to get away from them. Okay. So think about the agents in Matrix, where. They're like, we don't fight agents, and it's all about getting away. And so uh, yeah. that, that would be a, a more clever approach. And it would have given, elevated the stormtroopers to being you know, uh, really bad things you want to stay away from. Whereas uh, we see them shooting and shooting and shooting and just missing. And so now there's a danger element with the, with the protagonist that's not there because that, that, sh- that looked like they wanted to go there based off what you see at the beginning, but they're not able to follow through with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, but of course, you know, it's, it's kind of weird saying that because in this era of filmmaking, that kind of attention to action really wasn't happening. You know, action movies were, and action scenes weren't treated with kind of the respect that you start to see later in uh, post Die Hard, post, um, um, you know, kind speaking of Speaking of, of blasters and the trash compactor, one of the best moments in, this, in the movie is when Han decides to try to shoot, shoot his the way thing. out of the blast compactor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so authentic. It just feels great. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they do get out. And, uh, oh, and another thing I like, sorry, real quick in that mm-hmm. scene, is Luke immediately yells at him, would you forget it? I already tried this magnetically sealed. And then Leia yells at him, put that thing in Wigger. Like, th- these, these people have the same DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't considered that. <laughs> um, they get away now. Am I right uh, that uh, um, Boba is on the, on the trail? When they get out, when they escape, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of my, uh, how, how one thing leads Boba, to the other. Let's see. He was in the special edition, sending us to Jabba, and I think he was in episode two, but I don't know. I've never seen him in the past <laughs> four, so I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> no, he was not. Okay. So um, they escape on the Millennium Falcon, and where do they go after that? I, I'm, I'm... Yavin. Yavin 4. Yavin 4 with the other rebels. That's where the rebel base is. That's where the rebel base is. Okay. And uh, then she brings to them the MacGuffin, the plans. And from there, they figure out where the weakness is and the plan to go and back. And it ceases being the MacGuffin and now it becomes the central plot. Yes, of the third act. Yeah. Um, and here's something that's interesting. Um, they, need, they, need, they, need the, they need the Death Star to be at Yavin in order for them to have the final act and have there be a threat the Rebel Ways can destroy it. The only way to do that is for the, for the Death Star to track the Millennium Falcon. So they say, oh, there's, a, there's an expository dialogue line where Tarkin says, you're sure the homing beacon is secure of their ship. Doesn't wait for an answer. It's expository dialogue. Mm-hmm. But then they, they easily explain it away by her saying, they're tracking us. And Han goes, not this ship, sister. That's all you need. He's, he's cocky. Yeah, you don't Yeah, need... they're totally following him. But 
he doesn't think so, and so that's all you need to know. Yeah. They're going to lead him right to the rebel base. You know, because he's cocky. <laughs> so they, uh, so yeah, from a, maybe that would be a trim that would be worth considering on the original. Too. No, you think? <laughs> I like the fact that, that they explain why the, why the Falcon leads him right to the base, because Han can't imagine the fact that they're tracking because he's oh not my ship, you know, and, and and I like that because that tells you what that tells you something about Han, and it also tells you something about what he believes about his ship that everybody else calls a hunk of junk. Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, they get to the moon. They look it's, at it's all. I mean, that's what the thing is like. It's all, that's it's all characterization. It's dialogue, but we're revealing character. Yes. Unless you're Tarkin, then you're. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they uh, they uh, assemble the ships. They have their uh, plan for their one strike to kill the Death Star, which initiates the third act, and um, and then they go back and uh, you know action action action. I, I'm trying not to discount how good all of that stuff is because it's incredible. Oh yeah, the dog fights are amazing. The the dog fights, the sound effects, the music, the tension. And that's one of the things that I think that I haven't seen, except maybe once since the special edition. I haven't seen. The original um, Battle of Yavin since the special edition, but I do know that that's one thing where I absolutely feel the special edition is superior to the original was the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, attack the Death Star, the the Great Trench, uh, you know, sequences, which uh, are tremendous. And you know, I was just thinking about this earlier when we were talking about the authenticity of the movie. Um, if that had been, if George Lucas had directed that movie twenty years later. That would have been somebody in a chair surrounded by blue screen. Yeah. It, I've seen, I don't, I don't know if it was in a documentary or just a little snapshot, but I've seen them and, and heard George Lucas narrating over it how we cannibalized all these model kits for, um, to build a Death Star. And you see them like sitting there and, and gluing these things mm-hmm. on. I'm like, this is real. This actually exists. It's not in a computer. This Death Star can't blow up anything, mm-hmm. but it's real. You can go. You can go see it. Mm-hmm. It's real. I but once <laughs> I love that shot. The first shot of them going into the trench, because your brain is going. This thing is not that big. We know it's a model. Eventually, you're gonna have to cut because you can't get that close without seeing that it's just a model. But the camera just keeps going and going and going, and now it's in it's the trench. Big, it's a big model. It's a huge model, and the camera and the lens is set up so you really get a sense that there's a sense of space there, yeah. uh, which is it's just I, I always get a little wowed by that because I, I know it's not CGI. My brain is not telling me that it's CGI, but my brain is also going, "It's not that big," and yeah. I I get it's weird. Like I get fooled every single time. It's either a painting or a model. It's never a computer trick. I know, but it, you see it, the camera going right into it. I mean, it's the oh, camera yeah, on a model, but I, and I know the model is probably like you know nine feet big or whatever. But it, it's 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 just it's a it's a stunning uh, shot. Um, at this point, the action is so good that uh, some of the characterization stuff it kind of goes a little bit to the wayside, but it comes right back. When we have, uh, you know, Han uh, and Chewie who decide to come back into the fray. Uh, a little bit of a deus ex machina in the way they take out Vader and whatnot. I, I, um, you say the characterization goes by the wayside. I don't think that you're, I don't think that that's really fair. I just think that, I mean, you're, I think the characterization is still going on. It's just there's so much more going on. I mean, when Luke's friend Biggs gets shot down, mm-hmm. he like looks over his shoulder and he looks back up and he doesn't, he doesn't show any emotion. 
but you know he's feeling it. He, mm-hmm. He's in the middle of a fighter fighter plate in a trench. Mm-hmm. He can't he can't he think have about time. It. He have time. But you it. know that it's hitting. That's him, impactful. You know? Yeah. Um, what does play the role? And I, I there's something that I, I never felt was very consistent about this, or they should have been at least a little more. Uh, give me give me a little bit of reason why. But I, I would have liked some kind of dialogue, maybe in the briefing room, where they're talking about the X wings and saying that. These I, I would have, I would have liked you know this idea that these X wings are the last of the kind. This is the you know we can't build these things anymore because they were once you know part of the the government you know whatever, and that these have been scrapped together from scrapyards and they're not you know pristine working models, which would uh, in part create a reason why the photon torpedo shootings are not accurate. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that these things seem to be in high class working condition or super accurate in shooting. But even though it has a super nice targeting system that shoots TIE fighters out of the sky as soon as you lock on, that the photon torpedoes don't work and people keep missing and he has to rely on the force. So I would have liked a little bit of a drop to suggest that this, this is a ragtag you group say of people. It, they keep on missing. There was only two shots fired. One missed. The other one in. Right. But by implication of saying use the force, put away that thing, is that we can't rely on that. Because we're saying that if he did... If he didn't use the force and just shot with what the torpedo said, he would have missed. That's the whole significance of 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 you. Why, put your visor back down. Like I think uh, one of the commentators, Luke, you turn off your computer. Yeah, What's yeah. wrong? Yeah, exactly. Um, he says it uses Apple Maps. <laughs> uh, so I, I would have liked a, a little bit of a dialogue in the briefing scene to help build that moment because right now it's a little inconsistent and it's kind of a little weird. Uh, they're trying to sell something that's not doesn't quite stick. Um, uh, but it does work, and again, completely brilliant from a screenwriting perspective, especially if you're looking at, uh, you know, trying to do five, six, five and six, is that uh, Vader has, Vader is in a ship, and he's a pilot, and he's flying around so that when the Death Star does blow up, he's not part of the casualty. An interesting thing that uh, my cousin pointed out to me, um, and that is, you know, Vader says to the two guys that are with him, stay in formation. And every time you see those ships moving, they're moving like they're all one. Mm. And it's beautiful. Mm. And they're like, boom, we're going to knock you down. Boom, we're going to knock you down. And we're all one ship. And then the second that Han blasts one of them and ruins the formation, boom, they lose everything. Mm -hmm. The other one, they go out flying and, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like their formation is is everything. It's like Samson's hair. Once it's gone, (laughs) they're gone. Yeah. I, I do think it's weird how you see Vader's ships spiraling out of control when there's no gravity. Well, I mean, all the ships fly like there's no gravity. Yeah. So that's, um, that's how you do dogfighting. I mean, that's how, you, that's how you make that okay. interesting. There is something that I find a little problematic. Oh. Okay. Luke knows how to fly. Um, he's never flown X-Wing, but he knows how to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, he says... I used to pull my Womp Rats and my T-16 back home. They're and not much greater than two meters, yeah. which implies that he also knows how to use the weapons. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to use the Force. If you were in that cockpit and you heard Ben say, use the Force, would you do it? I think that the, one of the, his character arc at that point is for him to say yes. That he, yeah, through that whole experience, and now Ben's talking to him after he saw him get killed, 
Um, yeah, that's that's I'm, part of the character arc. I'm of Luke not is discrediting the it. fact that that as an inexperienced force user, he could absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, would he? I, I buy it. I buy it. Okay. I, he, he's not just an inexperienced force user, you know, testing new waters, but he's also like this kind of naive kid. That's and true. He's, he and if, if, if Olmey is saying to do it, he's like, okay, whatever. I kind of feel like him as a naive kid. This, the brave thing to do would have him miss, because now he's being cocky, thinking he's a Jedi and he's not, or something like that. Well, at the, the brave thing this is the from, apex of the, the brave, third act. The brave thing can't. to do from a writing standpoint would have been to have him miss. And honestly, if if okay, it would have been a tremendous letdown, but it wouldn't have been a very interesting ending if he had died. <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, that, that you, in an alternate universe, I would love to see that 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 play out. That would have been braver writing, way braver writing, and it wouldn't be any. It would be just as credible. Well, except that uh, episode four, of course, from a, you know, obviously he had ambitions of a plot before and after that uh, movie, uh, but you never know about the success of something like that, and you can't have such an ending that is so, there's must, we well, must the, continue the funny, this. The funny thing is, in a movie like that, it's like a war movie or whatever, you can't kill the hero. But if it's a true story, yeah, you can kill the hero. Nobody will complain. Mm. So actually, we don't mind the hero dying. What we mind is that you spoiled our illusion. I get that. If we know it's not an illusion, we're totally fine with the hero dying. Well, I think if, if you were to play out your fantasy world where he does miss and the Death Star survives and the ragtag army is pretty much all squandered and they're squandered and they're blaming Luke for using the Force instead of shooting with the photon torpedoes and then there's a huge you know story arc that he has to do to regain you know his... You know, all of the guilt from having missed and all the people who rest assured on him. And then if the time comes again, is he going to use the force or is he going to use the, the, the targeting mechanism? You know, it's interesting. I, okay, I, I don't know how far in advance Lucas had, had, had uh, mapped out everything. He says he has everything mapped out. Mm-hmm. But there's no indication in, in part one that Luke and Leia are brother and sister. Except for that little moment that you talked about in the uh, trash compactor where they sort okay. of imbi- have the same kind of personality. There's also nothing in the movie to suggest dis- and definitively. And they're, the, and they're of equal age. There's nothing to suggest definitively that Luke is Vader's son. There are, is a line where she says Luke is not a farmer when he has too much of his father in him. And Owen says, that's, that's what that's, I'm afraid of. Okay. But that doesn't mean that, that his father turned bad. It could mean his father went off and got himself killed in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that Vader spends ample amount of time in a room with Leia. And doesn't realize. And doesn't realize. Doesn't even ever actually meet Luke. But he says, the Force is strong with this one. Hmm. You want to know why I think that is? Hmm. He's not feeling Luke. He's feeling Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because it's right after Obi-Wan says, use the Force, Luke. He goes, the Force is strong with this one. Uh, interesting. Or if he's not feeling Obi-Wan, but he's feeling the fact that Obi-Wan is stimulating the forces, something with the forces going on right then. Whereas with Leia, that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, we got to wrap up this part. Um, I want to talk real quick about, um, you know, the fact that George Lucas did make a bunch of changes um, to um, Star Wars. Some good, some bad. And... um, 
from a fan editing standpoint, the he is the original fan editor. A, he's the original fan editor. Uh, but B, um, when it comes to when you know we talk about all the other fan edits that we've done, for the most part, we're talking about people doing as big of changes as they can to you know change salvage something. salvage something exactly. This is I um, told you I, the only changes I can think of off the top of my head would be to negate a few of the changes that he made. And and maybe a, a line of dialogue here and there. Maybe. And the, even then, you, there's a part. Of, I would suggest. I would bet that there's a part of you that even is reluctant to do that because it sort of taints the purity of what it is. Not necessarily. For instance, um, you know, Boba Fett's a classic character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will now fully admit that I've seen The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but Boba Fett's a classic character, and his voice is iconic. Mm-hmm. When when Lucas put out the Blu-ray, and I think maybe even when he put it out on DVD. He replaced Jerry Bullock's voice with the voice of the whatever the guy's the guy name is that played Django Fett. Yeah, he he ruined an iconic character, but I don't I don't mind because because it's, it's, consistent. it's more lore consistent. It's consistent. Um, I uh, I'm torn on stuff like that um, because well for a lot of reasons. But the point is is that from a fan editing standpoint, there's this a different approach uh, when fan editors talk about ep- uh, doing a, a episode four edits. Um, they're either talking about crazy radical changes, like let's turn it into a silent film, you know, that's 45 minutes long with a symphony, you know, like, or they're talking about, uh, there's a popular one that's a grindhouse version of it, uh, where it's black and white film scratches, a different soundtrack, that kind of stuff. These are really big, dramatic, they're kind of, they're, there's a different category instead of a fan. These are, these are... These are more about fanning than they are about editing. Yeah, and and these are complementary pieces. They're not supposed. They're not designed to replace the original. Mm, they're experimental. Yeah, um, but so what you don't see a lot with episode four fan edits are people trying to fix it. And if you do, what you tend to see are people trying to go back to the roots. Of Which the all you got to do is just pop in the the DVD that it has that doesn't say any hope. Well, those are hard to come by, and a there's no and the, there's no Blu-ray quality version of the originals. Sure, there's no Blu-ray quality. And, um, Disney might fix that now that Luke is not involved. Yeah, I think the day is, is inevitable where that's going to happen. Um, so, what we're going to watch? I haven't told you what, what fan edit version we're watching. I'm going to actually. This is the first time where I've never seen the fan edit beforehand. I'm going to. I'm keeping that a little secret. I'm not going to reveal to you right now. Just, we're just going to watch it and then talk about the differences. Um, uh, if, if, if we catch any of them. And oh, okay. I'm sorry, yeah, 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 I'm sure you will. Um, to, and, but just to, yeah, so we'll talk about what works, what doesn't. Um, but our, the differences here are we're, we're talking are, 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 mod, are trivial, if, if you will. We're not talking about changing Star Wars from a 10 to a 20, uh, you know, a, a 7 to a 10. It's a 10. Yeah. It's universally, I'm not going to argue the. And, the and, and I told you earlier, and well, you know, whenever we do Empire, I can't think of a change. Uh, well, I think we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, so anyway, this is uh, Greg and Bees. We're signing off on this part. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side, talking about uh, this particular fan end of episode four. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah. <laughs>
And we are back. <laughs> back uh, again. Back again. One uh, one more trip through uh, episode four. Um, I'm sure there'll be many more to come in the future, but that was um, that was our first time through actually watching this particular fan. It was my first time watching it, your, your first time watching it. Um, what we saw, uh, what I introduced uh, Greg to here, what is considered probably one of the highest rated fan edits of all time. Uh, this is Adewan's, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, Adewan's um, uh, episode for New Hope Revisited. Um, many people uh, online and abroad, and I think even ourselves, you, you even said it afterwards in a passing uh, phrase, is that this film is what George Lucas should have done when he released the special editions back in 99 or 98 or whenever that was. Greg, you can talk. Don't do this. <laughs> 1997. 1997. Um, so there were some surprises. Uh, no big surprises, although in, like from what we've seen from other fan edits. Nothing uh, dramatic like that. However... Nothing that changed the story or anything like that. Or changed... No or changed nothing was cut out. Or changing character motivations. And Well, there was a few lines of dialogue that were turned A, a line of dialogue is not the same as... A scene or whatever. Exactly. Um, so let's 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 go into it. Let's talk about the ch- changes that he made uh, that we noticed anyway, because uh, there's a lot of changes that uh, Adewan has made in this edit that uh, you don't. I don't think you can see them all. There were a lot of places where I got the distinct impression that I was not seeing what I'm used to seeing, but I couldn't quantify why. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I kept saying to you, "It's a little off, a little off. Uh, the color's different." Um, uh, some not right, you know, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. It's just mm-hmm. know that I've since I've seen that movie, you know, probably at least five times. I was able, <laughs> I was able to remember, you know, every little tiny bit and detail of it. So uh, one of the first things that I I noticed um, when watching it, I didn't, I never took stock in this before, but that C three PO has a silver leg uh, from the shin down on his right leg. I never knew that. Was that always the case? Yes. I can't believe I never noticed that before. I can put it in the uh, Blu-ray right now, and, the original, and we can watch it. Yeah, uh, see it. Was that did that come out more pronounced uh, just because of some of the post-processing there, he's it, done? It, there, or? Are, there are, yeah, uh, I, I don't think it was ever that pronounced. And, and honestly, most of the movie, I bet you probably didn't even notice it because gold and silver are not that different of a color; they're very similar. Uh-huh. It's like I was thinking when you mentioned it. I was like, if you came in and there was like a bowl of Christmas uh, Hershey's Kisses in gold and silver, you look at that bowl. You really wouldn't be able to pick out from a distance that one's gold, that one's silver. You just get the general sense that that's the color. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of our earlier exposures to C three PO, he's in the desert, so it's really hard to see that silver leg because you know it's just the, the, there's not yeah, a lot of contrast. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. He has that silver leg, I believe, in all three movies, but mm-hmm. it's just it was just for some reason really obvious in that one scene. And I remember I'd probably seen the movie several times before I ever knew, noticed he had a silver leg. Okay, so you you were in the same boat I was in yeah. up until yeah. just this... Except uh, I'd seen it five times. Obviously, you hadn't seen it five times. <laughs> um, uh, another thing that you you kind of, you're like, your, your spidey sense was tingling was... Uh, well, actually, a couple things. One is that the, when we first put this in, it was kind of a weird deal. Like, the everything seemed to be going really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't figure out what that was really attributed to. We, I, the, the video itself is um, it's set in a DVD PAL format, which is a European format, um, which plays movies at 25 frames per second as opposed to the 23.976 or whatever it is that we use here in the States. 
Um, so, but I kept thinking, is it really that one slash frame per second that's really making that big of a difference? And I don't think so because I never hear this. Uh, com- I never hear this complaint about uh, movies in, in in Europe being faster, you know, than because that was a noticeably quick clip that it was running at. So I don't know if that was a problem with the player. I don't know if it was a problem with um, the what we uh, or my burned copy that I, I made. Um, or if, uh, I, I cause we, we, we didn't see anything in the notes to suggest that that was intentional by Adawan. Um, but anyway, you picked up on it really quick. Um, at first I thought, oh, this, this, this is a different recording of the music. It sounds different. It was because it was faster. Yeah. I didn't was, really notice it. It was like, literally like, he, he, he's heard this theme so much that instead of at 440, he can tell it's at 442. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it five times. <laughs> um, so this, uh. This um, uh, another thing that you picked up on, even in in the midst of all that, was the that you felt like the the the, the shots, the the firing of the the blasters inside. They look different. They look different. Um, I I don't know. I thought maybe they added he added a, like a little bit of a special effect and uh, something like that. Yeah, it was kind of like every time the blaster fired, it was kind of like blaster fire. Lots of fire. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a blast blast point that I wasn't noticing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just a little bit of a reminder of oh, this is a cool looking space weapon. And the 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 entire edit is full of these little tiny massages of CGI of 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 visual uh, upgrades. So and there's so many of them and they're so small that I think that's where we get lost in how many edits there actually are going in here because you kind of just go with the flow at some point. Nothing is sticking out so much. It's not like all of a sudden um, Luke comes out with a purple lightsaber. It's nothing dramatic like that, except for later parts that we'll get to. Well, it's not like they said something like, hmm, we're going to take out the Luke and Leia, our brother and sister theme in this movie. Nothing like that. Correct, correct. It was more like, we're going to make Luke's hair a a tad darker shade. You know what this feels like to me? And and I've said it, I think this will probably be my theme throughout this edit, is that... um, when the when the when the special editions did come out, there was kind of a letdown. Um, maybe that was uh, a, for, a foreshadowing of things to come with Episode One. Uh, but there was a sense of a letdown, like, oh man, the the X wing shots are really awesome, but man, the CGI animals they don't look all that good. That didn't add anything. Uh, it got progressively worse when we get to you know the dance number that's in uh, um, Jedi. Jedi. So like. Um, so I, I sense that this is a, a, a this particular edit is trying to fix that problem, like not trying to fix the problems of 1977, 76 Star Wars. It's trying to fix the problems of what we got as the was it the 20th anniversary special editions, whatever it was, um, and the subsequent um, tinkering that has been done since between Nana and. 2011 was when the Blu-rays came out. I think that was the last time he did anything. Okay. Um, so this, uh, so you know, so so there's some interesting things with the uh, special effects of the blasters. Uh, there's some color correcting going on, which I think I think added more contrast, which is why I saw the silver leg or why it seemed to stick out. Um, I I I had a sense that the that there was a little bit of difference between how they walk in and, and how uh, Princess Leia is introduced there. Um, but am I, am I just, cause I thought that the, okay, well anyway, I, I miss, I was misremembering how that scene played out. Um, as I was watching this, actually, I was actually taking stock of, you know, episode four is kind of known, like I was saying earlier, it's sort of sacrosanct. You don't want to, 
edit it. And when we talk about people who do make fan edits of it, there's like another big popular fan edit of episode four is a despecialized edition um, that goes back and pulls all of the uh, the old 76 material and does its best to wipe out all the special effects changes. But what they're not trying... 77. <laughs> it was filmed in 76. It may have come out in 77. <laughs> it may have been filmed in 75. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that people are editing, trying to do the, a purist kind of cut. And actually, Adawan has made a purist version of the version we watched, where I think it removes some of the uh, special effects um, that were added, like some of those guys walking around in the background uh, when they first enter Miles Eisley. Um, but uh, anyway, so in, uh, what I'm going to say is that I don't really hold, as much as I love uh, you know, Star Wars, I don't really hold it in reverence. So there's a part of me that thinks, you know what, if I ever decide to edit episode four, I started seeing cuts where I would, I would make some changes. And one of those changes uh, was when, and I pointed it out when we were watching, was when uh, the, the Tusken Raiders zap R2-D2 and he falls face forward. Um, and then there's this, after that, then they come and they pick him up and then they drag him and then they take him to the, that big uh, caravan, whatever that's called, um, Sand crawler. Sand crawler. And then he uh, slowly comes to and he kind of sees his surroundings and then meets up and catches up with C-3PO. I think you could cut right there as soon as he falls down and then, and then immediately he opens, he comes awake inside the sand crawler. I think you could do that uh, and it would, you would cut out some of that, you know, you're cutting out the footage of the original, but I think there's, there's room to trim up and make this a little tighter. Um, also, I never noticed before, but um, a lot of Tarkin's dialogue is expository, mm. and you know he does a fine job of acting. But I, I, I want to trim some of his scenes, but I, I don't because if I start trimming his scenes, and all of a sudden he just disappears from the movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's ways of coming in and out of some of his dialogue that you might be able to work around. Because I was, as you were talking about it, I was kind of looking for spaces of, you know, maybe you can trim that line and just start in the middle of the conversation with before, after the exposition. Um, anyway. Except a lot of times the entire scene is about 10 seconds long and it's all exposition. True, true. Um, uh, but you could, like we were talking about in, you know, in the first part where he comes up to Vader and says, uh, you know, the, did we put the, uh, you know, the, the beacon on him or whatever? And uh, Vader has a response, yes, it's there, and they'll lead us right to the Rebels or whatever. Vader says nothing. Okay. But you can... It's literally, he doesn't even... He says, you're sure the homie beacon is a courier brother's ship? I'm taking an awful risk, Vader. This had better work. Vader says nothing. It's it's expository. But you could have... What I'm saying is that you could have the back end of that dialogue. Just where he says, we're taking an awful risk. And then, you don't know what that's for, and then it cuts to Leia saying... They're tracking us. Exactly. That would work. See? That would work. That's what I mean by some, a lot of his dialogue you could come in and out of. Um, so, anyway, uh, they, you know, the, the droids get... Do you ever get the feeling when you're watching that movie, when they're on Yavin and they're talking about the Death Star, that they know the Death Star's coming? They never talk about, oh, we're going to have to fly out to Coruscant where the Death Star is and do this. That is true. There needed to be some kind of reference to the fact that they did track them to Yavin 4, because right yeah. now they don't... I guess you're supposed to... I mean, I mean they're all going out on, in their fighter planes, and like, yeah, they could do that, or they could get on a carrier, but they may not have a carrier, because their mm-hmm. Rebel Alliance is pretty small at the time. But, yeah, even so, they seem to know that they're that this is where the battle's going to take place. You know, you get, you get that feeling. Yeah, you totally do. Um, that... 
I don't. From it, I wish there was. Yeah, you're right. There should have. I wish there was something expository that kind of let that. I mean, it could have easily know. been a scene where it says. I mean, you know, you see them tracking the Death Star, um, but we don't ever see a scene where they're like, oh, "Death Star is here." Yeah. You know? Yeah. True. Um, so uh, there is, uh, you know, the the droids are working with Luke, and Luke, um, you know, he R two runs out to go find Obi Wan. And um, there's a couple of edits that one of the, one of the things that's uh, constantly gets changed uh, from you know the original throughout all the changes is the sound that Obi Wan makes. Uh, <laughs> Great dragon! Howl. <laughs> um, I didn't recognize this one. I don't know if it was from an earlier it version. Was from one of the earlier. It was, it was from one of the early ones. Okay. Um, but you know, I think that I don't know if that was in the special edition version. The special edition version. It's hard to tell. There have been at least three of those sounds, so it's really hard for me to remember which one is which. Which version do you think was the primary version that this one was edited from? Mm, special edition. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think it had a healthy mix of the of the two, mm-hmm. original and special. And I th- can't remember if there were things from the 2011 Blu-ray version that were in there, and I can't remember off the top of my head, so... Um, but that does bring us to, um, to the meeting with Obi-Wan where we get one of the more significant edits in this this film. Having seen the scene in the order in which I seen it, I'm trying to see how many times (laughs) I can say the word scene, um, it almost seems like it was accidentally edited wrong in the first version. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this looks like this. This looks when I watch that. When I watch that scene, it looks like this is found footage that somebody had re-edited into what we know as a New Hope. Mm. It seemed like this is the logical flow of conversation. It really did, and and, and it's funny because it was all out of order. Mm-hmm. And then and I never really thought about maybe the possibility that this was a disjointed conversation before mm-hmm. because the, originally the conversation started in the middle of the conversation. Right. He's talking about his dad. In this version, it started with, let's see what's on this droid. Yeah, so... It, it wasn't actually the beginning of the scene. Yeah, so if you can imagine this scene chopped up as like ABC in the original that's now presented with BAC. And somehow it worked just fine. I had a... I, I, I lost... I think one of the problems that it... It, it creates though is that it starts with you know the introduction of the video from uh, Princess Leia and the giving the information out that this is about the rebel and we need uh, we have these important plans and this is a big issue but at the end of that where you should have Luke interested in the uh, the rebel and interested in what's going to happen next and interested in if whether he what his role is in it if anything um, it cuts back to him kind of tinkering with uh, with C-3PO, and he's rather, it seems like he's rather disinterested in what's going on. Mm-mm, mm-mm. He, um, the, the video ends, and he goes, you fought in the Clone Wars? He's reacting to the video. Which is good. About the video. Which is good. And, um, when we were, when the, the way the scene originally was, we kind of just jumped into the middle of this conversation for convenience's sake. Right, where he's talking about the Clone Wars before now, leading into... well, let's see, we got back to the house. What the are we going to says about? he has a message for me. Let's, Let's check it out. It. I mean, this really feels logical. I see where you're going with that. I, I felt like a little bit of the momentum got lost, um, but I don't feel that it did because it, like, making it. I look back at the original version, and the original version seems more expository now. 
Uh, I'll say this. As soon as the C part of what we're talking about kicks back in, now it felt like the momentum had kicked up. So I... I, I'm happy that it ended on that positive note uh, from, from you know, sensing Luke's... Because I felt like Luke's motivation kind of did a weird wobbly thing. But I understand where you're coming from. Like, if you, it's really convenient that he just starts talking about that right before he's like, oh, by the way, let's hit play on this droid, which is, by the way, the whole reason I'm here. You know, that should have been priority, which is how it's treated in yeah, this Yeah, you, you definitely get the feeling that Obi-Wan and Luke know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's weird... That Obi-Wan would be, like, sitting there going, Oh, yeah, I was a Jedi like your father, blah, blah, blah. You knew my father? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, had they, if they know each other, how come this has never come up in conversation before? Yeah, and actually, <laughs> and, and to Adawan's credit, um, him giving him the lightsaber now, he's doing so in the context of knowing that he's about to get mixed up with the Rebel Alliance. Not some, hey, by the way, here's your dad's old lightsaber. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, in this version, it's like Obi-Wan says, uh-oh, I've got to go to Alderaan. i got to get Luke to go with me, so what can I do to entice him? Mm-hmm. Because in the original version, you must learn the ways of the Force if you're to come with me to Alderaan, immediately follows, i got to go to Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Now it immediately follows, I'm going to tell you what the Force is. Yes. Um, I, I think I, I could, um, uh, I started off arguing, you know, what, what, what problem it creates, but I think this, I think the change does more good than that little problem. I thought it was fascinating because I don't think there was a, more than a second or so, whatever, somewhere in that scene. I don't re- recall actually any of the scene being missing, but it was interesting to completely rearrange the scene and have it totally work better. Yes. Um, and there wasn't any like missed dialogue moment or anything like that, you know? And if I'm correct, does the end of that scene segue to the establishing shot of the of uh, the Death Star? Yes. Which was a different in many ways. Yes, okay. Uh, so in this, uh, you know, in the original movie, basically you just see a Star Destroyer approaching the Death Star, and then it goes in. And they're talking on the Death Star. In this version, first of all, we get the Imperial March... Dun, which dun, is this the dun, only movie that dun, didn't have dun, any dun. reference to that whatsoever. Now it's there. Um, we get the Imperial March. We see the Death Star orbiting a planet, presumably Coruscant, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and or maybe some secret planet where it's built. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, there's ships everywhere. You you get that the Empire has a face now. It's not just a bunch of guys in a board in a room talking. The Empire is out. They're doing stuff. There's an ant colony moving around. You don't just see the little, you don't you don't just see the little pile of dirt and then jump inside. Mm-hmm. You see all these ants moving around. Then you go inside. Now it feels like there's a lot more going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, on the one hand, I felt like that was really great. On the other hand, it felt a little heavy-handed um, compared to the original version. Mm-hmm. It felt like, wow, this is so freaking cool. And a little bit advanced for this for 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 what else we see in this movie. Did the imperial theme? I don't recall. Did it come back uh, in any shape? It definitely came back when the time. Go ahead. In the in the in the Battle of Yavin, um, there's way more ships, and okay. when the Tie Fighters first show up, you hear the, the imperial, imperial theme. theme kicks in. Okay, and oh, well, possibly we'll, another place, but I don't yeah, know. let's let, we'll we'll get to that you yeah. know as we go. Um, another thing that you caught and that uh, which. For you just didn't feel right or something was different was the dialogue of his aunt. Yeah. It's the same dialogue, it's just a different voice. Different voice. 
That seems so weird. Like, where would you get that voice? Well, I don't know, uh, but I do know that if you look carefully, I mean, you can see that her lips aren't necessarily following along with what she's saying. Yeah, it's ADR. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but, but a lot of times you can't notice. I noticed, actually, I was I saw a lot of Harrison Ford's dialogue as ADR in this. And oh, I was, really? I was being pulled out a little bit, yeah. Really? Particularly when they're in the Death Star, in the, in the scene where he's like, you know, he's got his helmet off and his feet are kind of up on the on the thing, but he has to be convinced to go save the princess. I was really pulled out there. It's mm. it's it, to me it was a little startling. Well, remind me when we get to Empire. I want to I want to point out the scene that will pull you out in that movie. Okay, Harrison Ford. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a pretty interesting story too. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, um, I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, the only reason I would have a problem with it is because I'm. I'm like a purist. Oh my gosh, you ruined my childhood. Yeah. You didn't ruin my childhood. No. no. Um, so they it cuts back to the Death Star. We get... Uh, Terminator Genesis ruined my childhood. Anyway, <laughs> uh, We get back to... Uh, you know, there's more Death Star stuff. We get... Um, and then they... Uh, he runs back and his family... There was a... You said something that was... And I don't know if you were alluding to an edit or something that I missed, but when Luke goes back to the home and finds it... Uh, um, uh, on flame, inflamed. You said, like, like that was impactful. Like, the, was there anything different, or you just kind no, of you no, just kind no, of wrapped no, up into the it, moment? Got into the moment. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Luke goes back, and then they end up with in at Maz Eisley. This um, this movie, the way it was done, felt more like part four than it did an original movie that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. There, it just, it just, and and and. And I think that's one of the things that got me was, um, you know, obviously Owen Brew and Luke are all living there at the end of episode three and and whatnot. But um, when he comes back and they're dead, the the the, the callousness of their death—it wasn't personal. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the, are they the only humans that really die on screen? Obi Wan gets cut in half. He, he, he turns into the Force. He disappears. Because um, it's all droid. Give me a second. Um, um, uh, Darth Maul gets cut in half. Okay, that's true. Um, Qui Gon gets stabbed. Okay, and then dies. Yeah, but um, this this ske- the burning skeletons is more graphic than anything in any of the Star Wars. Sure, 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 and and also. Um, several people in Empire Strikes Back are are strangled to death with the Force. That's true. Um. Nothing is graphic, though. True. That's probably one of the more graphic scenes in the in the you know in the probably second only to Anakin burning. True. True. Which is kind of ironic if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, the burn. Yeah, that's really ironic. Hmm. I never thought about it. It's like rain on a wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they um, Alderaan gets blown up. Uh, not not yeah. Alderaan gets blown up. Um, but you commented on that, that that looked different. It, looks, it looked really cool. It looked a lot more of a chaotic than it did. Um, all right, and action. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever uh, effect works he did and timing that there, that, that seemed to, to uh, make that uh, more impactful. Um, we talked about a little line of dialogue that could be removed, because uh, after that scene, it cuts to uh, Obi-Wan saying, I felt a disturbance in the pools, and uh, Luke playing around with, uh, with the lightsaber and whatnot. Um, but uh, there's a line where uh, he puts the blaster shield down on Luke's helmet, and says, and Luke says, how am I supposed to see with the blaster shield down? And uh, he turns, and then it cuts to Obi-Wan from a different angle, and he says, 
uh, don't use your eyes, you use your, trust your feelings, or something like that. Um, you could easily have him walk up, put the blaster shield on him, turn it down, and then cut to him walking away and saying, trust you, you don't need that line where, the, where he talks about, yeah, like I said, you can cut you that You might line not out. even need him saying, don't worry about it, trust your feelings. You might not even need that line because Luke just could get the sense that he's being he's being schooled here. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I I see I think about an edit like that, and I wonder what the purists would think because I know that that would improve that that moment, but whether somebody would purists aren't going to want uh, fan edits anyway. Uh, fa- well, the the only people who well. Uh... It's, 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 it's a weird conflict because, uh, and I go back to what I was talking about in the first half, the reason why episode one is the most fan-edited movie is because episode four is so good. Mm-hmm. And that means that it's original source material, like there's a, there's a, there's a reverence for it. Yeah. So tinkering with it seems like, you don't tinker with that, like the, the flaws and all. That's that's the that's the um, thing that we look up to. In, in that case, I am not a purist because I feel like if you if you can make something better and and you want to go for it. Yeah, you know, um, um you know, uh, it's like uh, the difference between listening to live music and listening to like a studio recording. Mm-hmm. A lot of people prefer live music, and I say, well, if I go to see Star Wars. I want to see the effects. I don't just want to see what was recorded with the camera. Mm-hmm. Polish it up as much as you like. I probably prefer the studio recording mm-hmm. version because mm-hmm. it's polished. Maybe it's not authentic, but it's polished. It, sound, it actually sounds better. Maybe you like authentic. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I like polish. So. So, um, but but anyway, that was an edit that could be done. You know, and. Um, so uh, they, uh, you know, they they're on their way to Alderaan. They show up, asteroid belt, or this is not an asteroid I field. I like we were right? having a very similar conversation a few hours ago. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah. So the uh, they get inside. I'm trying to think of what changes uh, stood out. The only real big change I could think of that stood out was after. Uh, because um, the, the the trash compactor scene seemed to be the same. The rescuing of Leia seemed that to I, be that I felt. Was the lightsaber scene? Right. And, uh, Obi-Wan walks in and ignites his lightsaber before we even see Vader. In the original version, Vader's standing there with his lightsaber ready to go. I, I'm torn about that edit um, because I always liked that, that shot of Vader with the lightsaber out because he's like waiting for him and just looking ominous as shit. You know, I like that. I always like that moment. Yeah. And then he and Obi-Wan kind of in fear lights the saber. Um, however, this works too. What you need is you see Obi-Wan coming through and slow down, and you hear, you hear the sabers on. Oh, that might be fun. Then he goes, ping, and it cuts, and he's standing there with the saber. If you hear it's on, you don't hear it come on. Yeah. You hear it on. Yeah. That, that, that could be pretty cool. That could be pretty cool. I like the way that sounds. Um, but that's not the biggest change in, in that moment, because uh, the music change is, is very different. In well, there's two scene. big things that change there. Number one, they... Um, Bringing back uh, Battle of the Heroes, which is the music that's played during the first Anakin, or sorry, Vader Obi Wan fight in Revenge of the Sith, which is a great tie-in. But also, there's a lot more fighting in this version. I don't know what he did, where he got this footage, but the, just a lot more st- 
saber interchanging. They a go... lot more saber hitting. Yeah. The problem is, is that the music overshadowed some of the dialogue. Yeah, I, I have a sense that that was. I, I've noticed this a lot actually in a lot of fan edits when when we when we add new music in, it tends to overshadow, uh, overwhelm the. Um... I mean, you can bring up the audio the. Yeah, well, dialogue track a little bit. No, because really, what's going on from the technical side is that it's a it's a five point one mix that the 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 player is downgrading to a stereo, mm. and because it's not that audio is not being mixed in the center channel, it's being mixed in the left and right, and then being it, it, I don't whatever the reason that actually makes it uh, it makes that adding music it makes it too loud. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty sure based off the amount of technical and whatnot work that went into this edit, if we watched it in a 5.1 setting, or if, if on the DVD itself, if there's an audio option of listening to a stereo cut that maybe he, uh, um, engineered, then uh, that would go away. I really do think that that's a, a problem with the player. Cause I see that a lot of times and it's, I've seen it in my edits where I'm like, why is it so loud? Like I, on my on my headphones on my computer, it works just fine. Why is it when I listen over here, it's like crazy loud? And I'm pretty sure it has to do with that. So, but to be fair, uh, if you don't know that, and most people who download these things uh, yourself or others, they're gonna probably sense the same thing. Um, so heads up if you're listening to this, be sure to check it out in a 5.1 setting. Now, um, I have mixed feelings about putting that music in. What do you think about the music? Um, I, I don't. What was there before? In anything? Nothing. It was just silence. Um, here's the here's the challenge, and I think we even we may have touched on this. Is that this as the like you said, like this is the episode four. Like it's not Star Wars. It's episode four, and in that context, what we lose is the the you know the final conflict between Obi Wan and Anakin, um, and because this movie doesn't treat that death as impactful as it should be based off one two and three i see that you know putting this music in tries to elevate that moment to you know to to be a uh, you know a final coda for uh for what those other movies present the problem is is that even after it's over it still feels anticlimactic you know vader slashes him he kind of kicks his robe and that's it there's not the you know, there's not the sense that this is over, that Anakin is has just killed Obi-Wan. Like, that's a big thing if you in the context of 1, 2, and 3. So in one sense, I see that it's trying to be that, but in another sense, maybe it shouldn't because it does, it does, well, but it it is, does deflate it is that, that moment. Without, with or without the prequels, it is that. It's, a, it's fully implied and explained in the original trilogy, mm-hmm. you know? Um... So the, the the problem with it is is that Anakin doesn't become a a, a protagonist in the original trilogy until about mm, two thirds of the way through Return of the Jedi, when he's there with Luke and you you know there's this this you could feel that he's got a conflict going on you know, mm-hmm. um, so he's not our protagonist and so we don't really get to see, you know what's going on with him like I think the the, the most vulnerable moment we see with Darth Vader is in Empire when they're lowering the helmet over him. We don't get to see who Vader really is and what he's thinking. You know, in that moment, even though you don't see his face, you, you know what he's thinking. You just know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in um, you know, Empire, I'm sure I've told you in the past that when um, uh, episode one first came out and I, you know, was listening to the soundtrack and uh, I 
put Duel of Fates over the Luke Vader lightsaber scene, which has no music. Mm. And I was like, wow, look how cool, much cooler this is with the music, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe that anymore. I don't like, I don't, I, I think it's better without the music. Really? Yeah. Because it's not, we're watching Star Wars, we're watching Star Wars, we're watching Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you've learned much, long one. You're fine on fools. It's, it's about them. It's not about me. Mm. The music's there for me. I want to see them. I see. Does that make any so sense? Like, you mean like it's like their private moment because they don't have an audience? And... It's like Michael Bay directed it. If you have to put a fancy score over every fight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I. I uh, well, I think one thing that would not work if, uh, and it's probably why the original is the way it is, is that all of the extra, you know, fencing that goes on, I think works because you have the music uh, driving it. Mm. Um, uh, so if you take out the music, you can't have all that extra combat. You'd have to cut it down. Oh, yeah. Especially in Revenge of the Sith. If you get no music. But see, Revenge of the Sith, music's fine in that scene because this is a build-up, a culmination from three movies. And this is the Jedi versus the Sith, but it's also the Master versus the Apprentice. Okay, so now I'm confused. I thought we were talking about the, the music, the score that's going between... I'm comparing lightsaber duel in one movie to another, where I like music in one scene and I don't like it in another. I like the the fact there's like there's music in the lightsaber scene in, in Revenge of the Sith. There's not music over the lightsaber fighting in um, um, Attack of the Clones, or if there is, it's very minute, mm-hmm. and that doesn't bother me because there's nothing really personal going on in in this until Yoda comes in and then they do no but up but up he's like you know yeah whatever <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. but um but the the silence is is. Uh, is so in coming. retrospect, you do prefer the silence in this, in this, I, in that, in that. In that I don't exchange. know about this movie. In Empire, I definitely prefer the silence. I don't know about this movie because this is the the a continuation of something that we have not seen before. Luke and Vader, for all we know, depending on what happens in the you know outside of the movies, have never met before. Right. This is brand new. Mm-hmm. So quiet down. I want to hear it. Okay, I, I was a little. Uh, for some reason, I got I lost a little. I thought you were talking about the 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 Obi Wan Vader fight, but you had switched over talking about the Luke. Well, I'm and comparing Vader. them. Okay, and then in Jedi, when they meet again, we have this racing score, and it's wonderful. I see. Because this is the end of it. This is the culmination. Mm-hmm. Now we now we can get the score. Gotcha. That says this is an age old fight. When is it ever going to end? That's what I feel like when I listen to that music. When I listen to that music at the end of Return of the Jedi, and they're fighting, I just feel like this music is 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 sad. Because what we are seeing has happened for generations over and over and over and over. Jedi versus Sith. But this time it's father and son. Hmm. It's, 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 <laughs> you know, I just get the feeling that music, that music makes me feel like there's, there's a cycle and this is just inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a moment in uh, the Mask of Zorro when he's, when he's doing his fighting and, um, there's a musical cue and he does an awesome flip and there's a musical cue. And when I hear it and I see it, I feel like. What what this music and what I'm seeing here is saying is, Zoro is forever. Mm. This is what Zoro is, and he will never die. Mm. And that's what I feel like when I watch Return of the Jedi at the end. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But, so okay. Like, mixed feelings on the music in this scene. Okay. I, I can see it either way. Yeah. Same with in, in, same with putting in the Death Star and the Imperial March, mm-hmm. or I mean all the you know all the new cool new space scenes. I can see it either way. I feel like maybe it's too much, 
but also I didn't feel like it was enough the first time compared to all the other movies. There is another little moment that is massaged is is when Vader does kill Obi-Wan. Um, in the original, he slashes right through, the cloak falls down, moving on. Um, and this one, the as he slashes through, the slow-mo kicks in. And I, I think that, again, is another attempt by Adewan to point out that this is um, a big moment uh, based off of you know See, the other three movies. The problem is, is that Luke Skywalker is not the protagonist of 1, 2, and 3. He's right. the protagonist of 4. But, that's... but the fight that you're seeing... Is between the protagonists of the original, original. trilogy. Ne- Luke, in that moment, Luke's not the protagonist. Obi Wan's the protagonist, mm-hmm. and Vader's the villain. And in that, and 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 and, and if when if Luke's the protagonist, then the Empire's the villain because Vader and Luke don't have any kind of relationship yet. Right. All he knows is that Vader killed his dad. That's all he knows. He doesn't even know that's Vader. He's never seen Vader. He doesn't I wonder even know if that his, guy's Vader. I wonder if the reputation of the man in black with the red lightsaber precedes him. Who knows? But but my point is is that. And it's impossible to do because the movie was made before the prequels. But in that scene, Luke needs to be secondary. Until Obi-Wan is killed, Luke needs to be secondary. We need to see it from Vader and Obi-Wan's perspective. That fight needs to be about them, mm-hmm. not about Luke watching it from the side. Which is what it kind of turned into. Yeah, instead of Luke running up and, and looking and then Ben turning and smiling, it needs to be Ben and Vader battling and then there's a pause and then Ben turns and, and, and looks ben, at Luke yeah, yeah, that's, that's that would what be... it needs to be because now all of a sudden you are literally passing the torch yeah. as opposed to the, the torch is already in your hands even though I'm still alive uh, I totally agree that would have been a better handoff uh, but I, I wonder I don't think it's hard, to, it's hard to think that it did Lucas really have the foresight to think that that could have been well even if he did he was and uh, this is not me slamming him. Mm-hmm. He was focused 100% on, this is my protagonist, Luke Skywalker. This exactly. is the story I'm going to tell. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they, uh, there's some... Another thing that uh, I pointed out and uh, was that when... we And I think we talked about in the first half is the, 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 the stormtroopers are not... They seem very inept when we actually see them shooting at the protagonists. Um, but the the exchange when uh, Luke you know throws the little rope and does the little Indiana Jones thing across the that chasm with Leia, uh, there's about seven or eight nine different exchanges between him and uh, and the guys who have the you know the, that are above them. I think you could cut that down to maybe two or three exchanges and make that feel like it's a more hectic and you know scene. Maybe add a little more um, you know action to that moment. Uh, again, a purist would. Uh, Probably not agree with that kind of edit, but as as an editor, I would. That's something I would definitely look into trimming out. Um, but they get back on uh, the 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 Millennium Falcon. Uh, there's the the line about the the tracking beacon, which we talked about, and uh, or the tracker or whatever it is. And uh, they go back uh, homing beacon. Homing beacon. <laughs> they get back to the moon uh, where the rebel base is. Um, a lot of the establishing shots that you commented on all, and almost all of the space shots seems to have effects work. Extra Star Destroyers, extra ships of some kind. Um, well, a lot of that stuff was put in the special edition. Not the Star Destroyers, oh. but the establishing shots of Yavin, the Millennium Falcon coming in, that was all made in the special edition. Uh, but you said something about the, the shot of the Millennium Falcon coming out of... There was a new shot of the Millennium Falcon coming out of hyperspace. Yeah. Um, so there's oh yeah and and more importantly just before that when they're in hyperspace 
oh yeah. Uh, and, and and honestly, like I'm, I'm sure this is one of those things that if Lucas ever thought of it, he'd be like, dope. <laughs> but but yeah, they're in hyperspace, and Vader, no, um, Tar- Tarkin just said they were in hyperspace, and they're and they're flying along, and it seemed like they are in hyperspace because nobody's piloting the ship. Mm-hmm. Um. And um, and they're having a conversation, and there's a starry sky outside, which doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't be able to see the stars if you're moving faster than the speed of light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, in this version, there's that blue, uh, hazy hyperspace effect going on outside. Mm-hmm. And I first noticed it because they looked like they were reflected in blue light. And then I noticed outside the window, oh, yeah, look at that. They're in hyperspace. Let's keep that in from now on. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> that shot of uh, the camera behind them looking out the front of the window, there's the blue swirling effect. Is that something that Adewan added or is that in the original? The effect or in, in, in that scene? In that scene. In that, that scene that's new. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's because I never, I never would have noticed it before. I, I was making sure that that's an effect. So Adewan added an entire effects shot sequence of them actually traveling in hyperspace. Well, there's a lot of effect shots that he added in, I, in space. I, I know, but that's an entirely new thing that we haven't seen in Star Wars. No, we've, What's no, no, no. I said the effect or the effect in that scene. You said the scene. The effect we've seen before, in, earlier in the movie, right, when, right before they come out of hyperspace in Alderaan. They, you see it, and, they, and then all of a sudden there's all the meteors. No, but you don't, do you, you don't see it in the windshield like that. You see, you see it in the cockpit. Yeah, you, you do? do? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's in that movie. And then and you see it in Return It's in of the Jedi. originals? Yeah, and it's in Return of the Jedi also. Okay, okay. Well, I'm just misremembering. There's really no hyperspace going on. But in, so uh, the blue haze is the added part. In that scene, yes. Okay. Um, they come out. They go to the moon, the rebel base. Um, not a whole lot of changes there. Um, if I new Death Star schematics that look don't look like they came out in the seventies. They look like very similar to the ones that um, in episode, in episode three. two that two. that that, yeah. that Dooku has. I thought that those were the same. Uh, uh, see, I, I was a little confused because I thought those, those Death Star schematics were the ones uh, that were inserted into the special edition. Was I? I'm wrong about that. No. The special edition still had the old looking one. Really? Yeah. That was a very, very clean effect that he put on there. I, didn't, oh, yeah. I, I just assumed that's part of the special edition. Oh, yeah, no. Wow. Okay. That, it looks really sharp. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, very professionally done. Um, so, uh, da, 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 da. I could see this version. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, certainly not going to say, oh, well, the, finally, I have a good version of Star Wars. <laughs> but I could see this version being like, you know what? I want to watch Star Wars. Let's watch this version. Yeah. You know, I can mm-hmm. see it not replacing my disc, but I can definitely see it being a suitable movie to watch. Suitable uh, substitute. And definitely anyone that likes Star Wars, I would say, check this out. Check this, check this out. out. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're skeptical of fan edits, nothing's cut. There's some stuff added. Nothing's cut. Mm-hmm. Except for Greedo's shot. Yes. <laughs> Greedo does not shoot in this movie. And, Jar- and Java. But if you think about it, those weren't in the original. Yeah. So, yeah. not cut. Yeah. Um, there is some more effect shots that are added when, uh, the X-Wing go back and attack on, uh, put the attack on the Death Star. Yeah, my, my, my one, uh, grief with this movie was, I, 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 I told you, um, okay, I've seen so much new space stuff, I have high hopes for the Battle of Yavin, and immediately after I said that, whoa, look at that, there's way more ships, and we get the Imperial March, and I'm like, yeah, this is this it's, is cool, there's so much going on, and then when they go out in the trench, you're like, okay, now what? it feels like 
it feels like there's so much going on, and now maybe they've snuck away and they're in the trench, or whatever. And yeah. You get the you get the feeling that there's all this other fighting going on, but when they come out of the trench, it's all gone. I almost think that a better way to, as I was watching it, to edit what he's put together here is to, they get to the star, and within moments, they already do trying to do the trench thing, and then you cut, you keep intercutting between what's going on in the yeah. trench and what's going on with the big fight on the outside, as opposed to having, you front-loading the, the fights, the dogfight stuff, and then leaving all the trench stuff, but kind of mix yeah, the I mean, two. I mean, there's, in that scene, I don't remember how many were there before, I don't really know how many were there now, but there was at least 20-30% more ships. It's not at all... Uh, uh, you know, hard to believe that they would all swarm in and and like five, three or four of the ships actually have a place they're going, and the others are just fanning out to, to create a diversion. Mm-hmm. Totally, I mean, they, they they sat there. I mean, they know where the trench is. Mm-hmm. You know, now it will take them a while to get there because the Death Star is huge. But I mean, they're gonna they should be approaching it at yeah, the yeah, right yeah. place yeah, where yeah, they, yeah. they don't have to spend you know five hours looking for the the yeah. the, the, the port. Um. So, port men. <laughs> uh, yeah, so th- not only are there additional um, X X wings that enter into this fight, but there's like you said, there's a, a big tie, a big shot of the Tie Fighters coming in. There's a whole bunch more of those. Uh, all the and all the effects here look like it sounds. It sounds. It sounds kind of strange that this this editor added a bunch of Tie Fighters. Like that, they can't look good, dude. It looks great. It Absolutely. looks seamless. It looks like it looks like George Lucas made the special edition and said, "You know, that's too many ships. Let's redo it with fewer." And this is the cut we got beforehand. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, so it, it does work, except it does seem to lose steam when we get to the the actual trench. Well, thing. it just it, it it seems like one minute those ships are there, the next they're not. Yeah, that's the because you don't you also don't get a sense you don't see all of them blowing it, up. It, it it feels like they were making the movie shot by shot in order and ran out of money. <laughs> I see that. And, yeah. I, and I remember making a comment. Uh, I said I was watching this movie the other day, and I get the feeling that that they that they ran out of money mid mid movie because one of the characters they they decided they were just gonna like get rid of him. He just disappeared out of the scene, but they still had his voice. He's still talking to the main character. Mm. And then I said, and then why didn't that? Why didn't Chewbacca get a medal? <laughs> you know, it's like because if you think about it, you know, yeah, all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. Alec Guinness isn't in the movie anymore, but we still get his voice. <laughs> um, there was a another thing that I thought could be trimmed up uh, or polished from the original is every time anybody gets a targeting, like they actually target somebody on the little screens, and then they start pulling the trigger, it cuts to them, and you see them missing, and then it hits. I always, I think you should cut out the little part. And it's you cut from it's targeted. He pulls the trigger, boom! It hits the hit, hits the whatever ship they're targeting mm-hmm. at that point. I don't like the idea that you aim it, you target it, and then it still has to find the target. Well, now I'm no pilot, and I'm really not much of a video game person. But whenever I've played, um, you know, fighter pilot video games, mm-hmm. I have to shoot a while. I I, I I I realize that in a real ship you have a finite amount of ammunition, but in the game. I'm like, okay, I'm just, there's no there's no good guys in front of me. I I am my fingers on the trigger, and now I'm going to start well, trying to navigate. Well, I know, but in this movie, they're not trying to insinuate that he's holding the trigger and trying yeah. to find the right angle. It's that he has the lock on, then he pulls the trigger, yeah. so it should go right to and hit the ship. I think that's a better way of of uh, making that of selling that the the threat. Um, um, uh, yeah, so you know, they're but a lot of the there. menace of the escape from the Death Star. 
is them just trying to shoot those fighters down and just barely missing. If it was just boom, 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 there would see, be a lot less menace. But see, the menacing part, the hard part is actually getting a lock-on. So everybody's moving so you never get the lock-on. So everybody's firing at will, sort of not getting that lock-on. But, but then, in this but then trench, then you can then, actually get a lock-on. But then, and this is an action sequence, the, the, the menace would be cerebral. It wouldn't be action. It would be like, uh, I'm waiting for you to move your chess piece and I'm going to move mine. And it's like, there's nothing. There's well, that's nothing, the thing. That, that's, they're they're yeah. trying. They're, they're, they don't have a lot of options. They're in the trench. They're in the trenches. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the trench. I'm talking about when the Millennium Falcon escapes from the Death Star and Luke and, and uh, Han are in the gun turrets and they're trying to shoot down the TIE mm-hmm. fighters. If, if it was just lock, shoot, lock, shoot, well, that they, scene wouldn't be. That, they don't have lock-on avail- abilities on that. I think they did. Their screens, it was like moving around. I think the screens... No, no, no. You're wrong. Uh, There's the orange screens. There's the orange screens. There's like a grid. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's there's nothing to suggest that uh, as soon as it's on there, it's um... a... Oh, okay. You're saying it doesn't say... Target lock. Exactly. It just says targets in the... In yeah, the, if you can your... get it in this thing, that's going to gotcha, hit the thing. Gotcha. Um, it's much more of a lock-on type device in the trenches. Um, one of the things I never really liked about the, the photon torpedo shooting into the Death Star thing is that in order to do so, you have to aim the torpedoes towards the core, but they're flying on the perimeter. And then they turn down. And then they just... Turned down like a like curved ball. I never liked that. Unless I, the exhaust port is somehow a vacuum or something, but they're in space. The space yeah. is a vacuum. Well, there's a lot of sound in, in this in this space too. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, th- I wish that there was a different way of kind of selling the idea that um, you know that at the last second he kind of like does like a cool like motion, you know. But even then, the photon. Yeah, it'd be. I, I, the curving down part always seems because, like, when the first guy shoots, he shoots and it hits this and he flies up. It doesn't mm. ever. It's yeah. not like he missed the basketball shot. Yeah. Um, that that little thing always a little bothered me, but there's no mm. really way of editing. Yeah. Um, and tactically, it would be way harder to just shoot down because you'd literally have to be right over the hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess you have to just assume that the photon torpedoes have a little bit of self-guiding mechanism in it. And I guess you can. I'm okay with that, I guess. So uh, Han comes in, takes out Vader's lackeys. Vader flies away. He gets the shot. The Death Star blows up. Not like Vader spins away. Yeah, he spins away. out of control. Yeah. Um, I really love... um, There's another edit of Star Wars. uh, We saw it's the Grindhouse version. One of my favorite little moments that he added in that version is that after the photon torpedoes are shot down the corridor, um, the exhaust pipe or whatever... um, it cuts to uh, Tarkin, and he says, "Evacuate!" In my moment of a triumph, and then poof, it blows up. I love that line. Well, I don't know right if you there. noticed, but in this in this uh, fan edit, as they're flying away from the Death Star, moments actually as it explodes, the the lasers are coming together to fire. The lasers are coming like, together. Like as it's spinning away, you see the green lines of the lasers converging. Oh, that wasn't in the original. It was, but not in that shot. I think it was in that. I think I think they were like countdown, stand by your fire. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. I don't think I don't think you actually saw it starting, starting to, to converge. I mean, it was like mid fire. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I thought that I again the effect works was so good. I just assumed that was a special edition. I didn't think that that was an added yeah. thing from. And, and I saw it on a little list too. Oh so yeah, that's, that's actually what made me think. Oh yeah, that's I saw. I definitely saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, the Destroyer of the Death Star, a little bit of celebratory stuff, and then we have the final celebration scene. That's not racist. <laughs> racist against carpets. Because <laughs> <laughs> Chewie has a medal now. Chewie has that's, a medal. That's a much more minor complaint than Han shot first situation or mm-hmm. Jabba. Mm-hmm. But everybody, it's kind of more like, oh, Chewie should have gotten a medal. Not, well, that's crap. Chewie should have gotten a medal. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And like I told you, I said, you know, Chewie's probably the one that convinced Han to go back in the first place. So, yeah, he should get the medal, not Han. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, uh, credits come up. I didn't I didn't notice. We watched a little bit of the credits. I didn't notice. The, that... the list said that they had some extra stuff in there, but Did it? I wasn't really. Okay. I, 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 didn't... I don't really, personally don't really care. Yeah. That, so. uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there's uh, some extra stuff in there thrown in by Adawan. Um, but that's it. That's uh, the you know episode four, Star Wars, uh, Adelon's version. It's called uh, uh, Star Wars Revisited. It's fantastic. I don't like the title. It's 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 a weak title. Um, well, it is what it is. Uh, but this is um, this is a, a a I mean when we talk about the top five, uh, top ten or top five most popular fan edits of all time. Currently, um, this is probably one of them. Uh, um, certainly, one of the most accessible. Certainly, one of the most highest rated. Uh, you will be baffled after watching this if you actually go through and read the cut list and change list that uh, Adawan has done here. Because um, you might, you know, you're going to notice, you know, 30 changes, but there's 130 that are actually in the movie. Um, this really is the special edition um, that should have come out. Circa 1996. Seven. <laughs> Circa 97. Um, 96 was Independence Day. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, Technically, that happens every year. Uh, I don't know. What else, Do you have anything else to add to this? I think that pretty much covers all my thoughts. The one, th- one, the one edit I, I was kind of hoping that they could have done that. I, I mean, I really don't know how it would be somehow to resurrect um, the mother character. <laughs> um, What's but, her name? Uh, who's it? Who's the actress who plays that again? Uh, I believe it's Natalie Portman. No, are you sure? Yeah. Uh, we might have to let's, let's okay, Google that. Side note: How cool would it be to have a movie where Carrie Fisher played Natalie Portman's mother? Uh, I can get on board with that. That would be awesome. <laughs> I wrote that screenplay. <laughs> Uh yeah, okay. So uh, that, that's it. That's it. Uh, there's lots of episode four. Now you know what I was gonna say. There's a lot of episode four edits, but really there isn't. Uh, there's the despecialized version, which is really popular, and then there's this version, and that's kind of it. You don't see a whole lot of episode four uh, and that edits. Thing. That's true. Um, but I mean, like trying to polish the original instead of creating right, something right, new. Right, 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 right. Um. And that actually goes for five and six as well. I was really surprised uh, when I started doing research about you know which ones we're going to talk about, about all the different options that are out there. Um, I didn't find a whole lot. Uh, there's a ton of options when we talk about one, two, and three, but four, five, and six, most people are kind of, you know, after the despecialized version came out, people are like, you know what, that's if, if anybody's going to try to make an original, they're going to go with that one. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel there. And um, the, the films are pretty strong in themselves, so they don't. There's not a whole lot of need to fix. Um, Would it violate any kind of copyright laws if I was to read something? <laughs> no, go right ahead, man. All right, uh, j- this is just you know. If this you like is Star Wars. This is from the Star Wars. This book. is the prologue 
to the Star Wars novel that came All out right. shortly before the movie, right. written by Alan Dean Foster, based on the screenplay by George Lucas. This was our this book came out before the movie. Okay. Which they don't do that anymore. They're stupid. But um, <laughs> this was our first glimpse at Star Wars, and I just want to see because it's been a long time since I read it. So this is this is the first thing anybody could have read about Star yes. Wars, circa nineteen seventy. This book was copyright seventy five. Seventy five. Okay. Um. So I think in the introduction he says, "Oh, it came out in December seventy six. The book did." Okay. Um. I just want to I just want to read this and compare what this says to what we now know about the Star Wars universe. Right? Go for it. Another galaxy, another time. The old Republic was the Republic of Legend, greater than distance or time. No need to know where it was or whence it came, only to know that it was the Republic. Once under the wise rule of the Senate and the protection of the Jedi Knights, the Republic throve and grew, but as often happens when wealth and power pass beyond the admirable and attain the awesome, then appear those evil ones who have greed to match. So it was with the Republic at its height. Like the greatest of trees, able to withstand any external attack, the Republic rotted from within, uh, though the danger was not visible from outside. Aided and abetted by restless, power-hungry individuals within the government and the massive organs of commerce, the ambitious Senator Palpatine caused himself to be elected President of the Republic. He promised to reunite the disaffected among the people and to restore the remembered glory of the Republic. Once secure in office, he declared himself emperor, shutting himself away from the populace. Soon he was controlled by the very assistants and bootlickers he had appointed to high office, and the cries of the people for justice did not uh, reach his ears. Having exterminated, through treachery and deception, the Jedi Knights, guardians of justice in the galaxy, the imperial governors and bureaucrats prepared to institute a reign of terror among the disheartened worlds, of the galaxy, many used the imperial forces and the name of the increasingly isolated emperor to further their own personal ambitions. But a small number of systems rebelled at these new outrages. Declaring themselves opposed to the new order, they began the great battle to restore the old republic. From the beginning, they were vastly outnumbered by the systems held in thrall by the emperor. In those first dark days, it seemed certain the bright flame of resistance would be extinguished before it could cast the light of new truth across a galaxy of oppressed and beaten peoples. And there's a note that says, From the First Saga, Journal of the Wills, which we've never seen that. Interesting. And then there's a quote. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and actually they became heroes. And this quote is attributed to Leia Organa of Alderaan, Senator. And I think it's very interesting hmm. that the only character mentioned in that whole thing it's is the, the emperor, emperor who is not in the book. I think that's very interesting. He's not in the book. He's certainly not in the movie either. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I think it's really interesting mm-hmm. because what it's saying is this is this this guy is our hardcore baddie, and not, but we're not going to get to him anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. If if you like Stephen King, it's kind of like the Crimson King. You know, you get set five six books into the series of the Dark Tower before you finally oh yeah we're going to fight the Crimson King and he's our main baddie. Hmm. So, all right. Um... Yeah. Sorry if so I spoil the Dark Tower for you. <laughs> so uh, that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, we're going to wrap this up and uh, go from there. So thank you, Greg. And uh, I'm interested to check out this Empire Strikes Back movie. I've only seen it four times, so <laughs> it's been a while. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you later.